0: everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is Wish You'd Known, a podcast for new entrants and insurance specialists, where we really aim to bring up the devils in the details and things you'd wish you'd known when you start your advice journey. And we have a very special guest. Glenn and I are joined by Sally Lone. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for making time for us. But this wouldn't have happened, Glenn, without... A very generous sponsor indeed. Yeah, so we
1: would like to just uh, pause and reflect and thank uh, One Part Zurich for getting on board uh, for this project, uh, for this podcast. It is an industry initiative. It's not you know it is for everybody I mean Danny we've got a lot of new entrants that listen Mm. but there are a lot of veteran advisors that listen get encouraged and it's just been a lot of fun and we just thank the hundreds and hundreds of people who are listening to this podcast yeah and it's about
0: people's opinions really their natural opinions it's not a reflection of the organisation they work for and I think that um, what we really try to do is bring forward those natural opinions and real conversations absolutely so thanks to the mothership for making it happen yeah (laughs)
1: Sally, thank you. Thank you, Glenn. These might be more the view of the FSC, your comments today, as opposed to Sally's opinion. So, we'll say that loud and clear. Sally, as Danny said, the CEO of the FSC, Financial Services Council. Now, for those who might not know what you do and what the organisation does, can you maybe just enlighten us?
2: mm I will say that some of these views that I have have been forged by myself as a person, you know, somebody yeah. who has life insurance, who has financial advice, who has super, uh, and I also have millennial uh, offspring. So, I'm very interested in, in what they're doing too. So, um, a lot of this stuff, I think, pol- a lot of the policy that we w- we make is very much influenced by what actually happens at the coalface real people. So, I just wanted to make that clear. So, I will say so sometimes it's my... a real person, my, Sally. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's my opinion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, we haven't got you from the basement with the boffins. You're out in Not the real at all. world. Not yeah. at all.
2: I am in the real world because I didn't start off in financial services. I started off life as a journalist a very long time ago, went into the corporate sector. I've written a book and I've done lots of different things, worked in television, radio, newspapers, etc. The Financial Services Council, to answer your first question, Glenn, is the industry organisation for uh, a lot of uh, companies in financial services in Australia. So we have uh, 100% of the life insurance companies in Australia, that includes the reinsurers, um, a very big and very powerful membership portion of the fsc we have uh, retail superannuation funds we have uh, a lot of the uh, major uh, medium sized and small fund managers in australia and also the advice licensee companies so we're across essentially four major portfolios in financial services and we're a policy shop, so we develop policy on behalf of our members. We take it to Canberra, to the lawmakers, and we advocate for it. And sometimes we advocate for really positive policy, and other times we advocate to remove barriers in existing legislation and regulation that is having a negative effect on our members and also on consumers. So, we play both roles.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's kind of – it's fascinating because a lot of um, things that it advisors might be dealing with on the ground day-to-day and the advice and products consumers receive may have been part of something in the background that the FSC has, you know, set the table and had industry sit at yeah. the table and particularly your members who you represent to develop – The policies and principles. Hmm.
2: That's how it works. It starts off uh, working. We have working groups. We have um, 70 or 80 working groups on so many different issues right across the board. Uh, And that's where everybody sort of sits together and gets into the technical weeds of a particular piece of legislation, regulation, policy, whatever, works it up. It goes then to a board committee of uh, those, the, one of those four uh, policy p- um, portfolios, and then it goes up to the FSC board. So it's quite a it's quite a process. It
1: sounds like it's bloody uh, trying to extend the car park at the local Baptist church.
2: <laughs> no, it's quicker than that actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And we also we also get uh, we talk to a lot of different stakeholders. Mm. So not just our members, but we we interact with all sorts of other people, consumer groups, mental health groups, all sorts of people in the in the community.
0: So Sally, a lot of that work goes unrewarded and unrecognized, which is the hard thing around any sort of advocacy piece. Because the commentary generally is, "Oh, what are they actually working on? What are they doing?" And I just love your thoughts and your and your um, overview on what's been really potent in your world lately. Like, what's the things that you've been honing in on? Mm.
2: It feels like uh, we've been working on life insurance issues for many, many years, and it's actually true we have. Um, you might recall uh, in 2014, right back then, we had a look at life insurance um, in the wake of a, a particularly difficult ASIC review, or ASIC report. And we came up with a big sort of research, um, the Trowbridge Review, uh, and then from then there's been a a series of laws and law changes. Um, There are still commissions in life insurance and we believe we're at a level now which is absolutely right for the sector. You'll remember the FOFA laws even pre-2014 when all commissions were taken off financial advice. Life insurance was carved out of that. Um, There is still a level of commission. It's it's, it's – we think it's the right level. That's, got, that's under review at the moment. So, that's been a big piece of work for us in life insurance specifically. Mm. I, I won't take you through all the other bits in, say, funds management or super, but that's been a very long, long piece of work so, for us.
1: So, what I'm hearing, the life insurance thing, it is such a oh I – I don't know if the words – hot, polarising, highly strung mm. um, issue for advisors – what I'm hearing from you is the FSC support life risk commissions. Yes. And effectively support advice.
2: Yes. And advisors. Absolutely. I support them all myself personally. I I came in uh, as I said as as a normal consumer and the first piece of advice I ever got in financial advice was through my risk advisor with life insurance. So that was a that was like an entry for me. Um that uh that company that I that I've that I've been working with um is now in its second generation and the son of the founder is now my financial advisor and uh you know It's just a great relationship and I'm hoping to do that from a consumer level to pass that sort of relationship down to my own children as well. Um, That's another level of conversation about how to get millennials to understand, you know, that relationship with financial advisors. But
0: absolutely,
2: I firmly believe in it and so does the FSC.
0: So, a lot of the the advocacy that you do and the opinions that you take to Canberra are really well-researched. And you're obviously supporting advice, supporting insurance. You believe that the commissions are at the correct level at the moment. What is all that based on? Like, what's the research that you've found or the insights that, you know, the audience should Mm. maybe know about?
2: Look, I think um, going back to the Trowbridge review, it was a very – John Trowbridge was a former APRA uh, member. Um, very, I think he's an actuary, very experienced man, in life insurance. He did a thorough review uh, in the wake of, of of FOFA, looking at these all of these issues, and the the level of commission that he recommended is is the one that is 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 there now. He also recommended uh, a life insurance code of practice for insurers, and that's something that you know. Really was inevitable. Banking sector has has a code. That general insurers have have a code. Lots of different financial areas have codes. So this was always coming. We're very pleased to have developed that ourselves with our members. It's going through its second iteration now. So uh, it might feel like it's been a long time, and it is hot. But um, these things don't happen without a lot of work from our our insurers. Um, you know, populating this through um, talking to the advisors. We work very closely with the AFA and the FPA, for example, the Actuaries Institute. We have lots of those really good, strong relationships with other industry organisations who've got obviously very good ground level knowledge of what advisors are going through right now.
1: There's some chatter out there uh, that there could be a case to take life risk commissions back up to 80-20 as opposed to sixty six twenty two, on the basis that, you know, what was it like, over 80% of the cases that ASIC looked at on a hybrid were compliant. Do you think the horse has bolted for any wholesale change to the actual rate?
2: Yeah, look, my view is that it probably has. It's hard to wind things back up again uh, and in the climate we're in at the moment, and I know there's there's one side of the of politics which is saying, you know, no commissions at all for life insurance. I think Trowbridge settled on uh, a, a rate. I think that is working reasonably well. I can't. I don't know. I'm not a financial advisor. I stand to be corrected. But I think to try and wind things up again might be going against the zeitgeist.
0: And. What would you think if that the pendulum swung the other way and life insurance commissions did go to zero? What do you think that world would look like based on the research that the FSC has done or has, as- has access to?
2: I think uh, for most advisors, that would be very difficult. I think it's very hard to um, get people interested in in life insurance per se. It's not something that people wake up in the morning and think, gee, I must go out and buy some life insurance. Unless they've got, you know, they've just bought a house or they had a baby. There are times in people's lives when they are prompted to do so. But I think um, the level we're at is is realistic. And I think it, uh, time will tell, but That's where that's our policy at the moment to keep it there.
0: And I think, look, we all around this table probably share that view. But I think it was really important for um, you to articulate that, Sally, because there's still a portion of the market that thinks, you know, that it's there's pockets supporting no commission, and certainly in the conversations I've had with different advocacy groups, that that's not been a narrative that I've ever heard. Like no one wants that to happen because we're all part of this profession.
1: Well, I mean, you you do get the purists out there that believe that it shouldn't have commission, but that's fine, you've got choice. Mm. And I believe consumers should have choice and business owners should have choice. Yeah. And for the people that were, you know, really moaning that we lost the upfront and all that, it could have been zero mm. <laughs> before yes. lift, like it it could have actually it could have been,
2: and I think uh, taking charge. Uh, we worked with the AFA very strongly on on lift. Um, as as you know, it was always said to me: if you don't, if the if the industry doesn't do it, then it will be done to you. Yeah. So I think you know that we were pleased to be able to do that. I think we're we're okay with where it is. Um, I know people; it'll never be perfect for some people, but it is what it is, and uh, we certainly believe that it's at the right level.
0: So what could each individual advisor do to make sure that we produce a result that maintains the commission level that we have now? Like what are the behaviours or what are the individual actions that someone could take to, I guess, campaign alongside the things that the FSC are fighting for? I think join
2: your industry organisations if you, if you haven't. Uh, there are a lot of industry organisations in the advice sector. Um, I look at it, uh, sometimes from an outsider, and I think, gosh, what if I was the minister and I, or treasury, and I got five or six different views from different industry organisations? It'd be hard to actually come to a decision um, when there's a lot of noise. Then it sometimes is difficult. So I would say to people, really look at the organisation that reflects your your policy views, join that organisation, have a seat at the table, and help to 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 write the policy and make that policy, you know, the ongoing law.
1: Yeah. So, a lot of – so, the projects you're kind of working on, uh, refreshing the life code, uh, certainly the lift with life insurance, uh, your teams in Canberra doing some things on super, without going into, you know, the detail on the super stuff, but just more on the politics of our world now. Do you think over the last five years the pressure with – lobbying and politics has actually gone up to 11 or is it actually okay once you're there (laughs) on the ground? (laughs) No,
2: it's gone up to 11. I think it's always been at 11. Um, Interestingly, I had no idea that superannuation, for example, was was such a partisan uh, piece of policy. And it's very simple once you realise um that superannuation thirty-two years ago was developed by the Labour Party and the trade union movement. Mm. So of course they they hold that very dear. And of course they actually, you know, that to them that's like Medicare. Mm. Um they don't want wholesale reform or changes. But on the other side of the ledger, um any system I think has to be reformed and changed. Um if it's not working for every consumer, it it, it needs to be uh it needs to be reformed. So Superannuation is always hard-fought. Any any small changes to super are very hard-fought. Uh, life insurance, I think, has been not so... It's not partisan particularly, but there are still very hot issues. Um, and I think with particular with regard to LIF, we're waiting now for the regulator to come out with their review. So, yeah, we've got a little bit of time to digest that.
1: Do you believe, you know, in your position at the FSC table... That the regulator is pro advice and pro advisor.
2: Oh, Glenn, that's a tough one. Juicy. I can't see into I can't see into into their minds. Yeah. but look, our, their job is to regulate the law. Yeah. as it stands. Our job is to uh, help our members uh, if if that law or that regulation isn't working for their business. Consumers' lobbies are there to lobby for consumers. We've all got a role to play. Mm. And I don't know what's inside the, the mind of, of the I, I just find it
1: fascinating that um, in the financial advice ecosystem, particularly our side of the fence in terms of delivering advice – where ASIC is so far up everyone's throat or breakfast or whatever you want to call it.
0: Well, well it, ascended. It,
1: it would be nice for them to actually say, we're actually four advisors. We'll regulate and... Anyway, yeah.
2: and yeah, I think that's an interesting... that Look, that's a view. You'd have to ask the yeah. advisors that. Look, My my perspective on so many things is like everybody... I have a great advisor. I have an advisor that I trust. Mm. Um, I remember when the doctors of Australia were under the gun. It was when Medicare was just starting. You guys weren't even born. Mm. But the doctors were – all these, you know, so-called bad doctors were giving medicine a bad name and everybody had a bad doctor story. But when you ask the person in the street, they loved their GP. Their GP was the best thing since sliced bread. They trusted them – And I think it's exactly the same for advisors. Great analogy. Yeah.
0: Look, I, and this this is probably a partially founded view, is that, I mean, I spend a lot of time, Sally, in businesses and we talk to consumers and business owners and exactly what you say is, right, when you actually talk to people who are in engaged financial advice relationship, they rate their advisors like, nine, 8.5, nearly 10 out of 10 every time. They don't mind paying the fees for advice. It's the person who's not engaged in an advice relationship that has that tension and that fear. Mm. And I also think to your commentary, Glenn, before, is when you actually read some of the regulator reports is that they actually make note pretty clearly that people when they are in those advised relationships are better off. They're better Mm. off from a financial Mm. perspective. They're also better off on a emotional – you know, well-being level as well, and they they state that alongside obviously the things that they find that aren't wonderful. So, yeah, I I, I don't know if they're totally anti-advisors from what I see. Mm. I think
2: it's called um, the uplift that you get from an advised life is is the gamma for your wealth. I first came across this phrase in a in a Canadian study um and we recently got Rice Warner to do a big piece of research for us about how to simplify advice and how to how to reduce the complexity and to get you know more people in, involved and engaged and they also looked at this issue of gamma and there's no doubt um, if you if you have an advised life you're going to be better off at the well, end of it
1: vanguard call it the advisor beta and they think that uh, they can you know their data says if there's an advisor in someone's life he's probably get a, a 3% high return because they Correct. stop people jumping off the cliff and yeah. pulling the money. Doing up. silly things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what
0: were their yeah. recommendations around the simplification of advice, Sally? Because that's pretty topical discussion at the moment. Like, how do yeah. you simplify it in a way that's not just theory, but someone can like be comfortable that they're also being compliant? Because mm. best interest is is quite a yeah yeah far reaching. I think the. Um
2: you know the, the work that Rice Warner did for us. Um, we've we've taken that through um, our members. We've we've had quite a bit of feedback on it. We've we've now um, written uh, what we call a green paper. We've also done consumer testing. So we've got research, we've got consumer testing, we've taken it all through our members, we've got some great um, bold thinking from our members um, and we've now produced this green paper which we haven't released yet so you'll have to watch this space but I think it's going to be quite interesting. I hope people are up for the conversation about, about you know, just making the, the complexity in the system of advice. If you were setting up as a financial advisor today, hopefully you will look at our, um, what we're proposing over the next few months and say, well, m- maybe that would help make my business structure a little bit simpler. Maybe it'll start to reduce some cost. I don't know yet, but that's the aim. We want more people in Australia to have financial advice, not less. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, the cost and complexity um, is, sometimes is inaccessible for, for ordinary Australians.
0: And I was reading in a little bit of the work that the FSC has done was this notion, I might butcher it, so apologies, but there'd be like simple personal advice and then complex personal advice. Would you mind providing us with a little bit of a, like a couple of... I can't really go into a lot
2: of detail yet because that's still in our green paper yet to be released. But I think the notion of general advice has probably gone now with the High Court decision recently. Um, So any time you sit down with anybody... And you answer a personal question, and that might be your name, age and where you live, then that I think now by law goes into the field of personal advice. So what we're saying is, look, let's, and we've always said this, let's have general information and let's then have, look at advice and split it into simple and then uh, complex. And complex can be staged. So, if you want advice on retirement or super, all sorts of things, that would be stages of complex of complexity. So, it's almost Um And it is bold thinking. It's new thinking. We hope we will be releasing all of that thinking pretty soon and getting hopefully some great feedback.
1: And just to date stamp this, the time of uh, recording, the date is the 8th of April. So, just to... Um, mm. Date stamp that. Now you've got a life insurance summit coming up, and I think it's important for you to one let everyone know about the summit, and then maybe what the aim of the summit is, Mm. and who will be attending. Is it open to everybody? And yeah, where do we go? And we'll put a link in the show notes, everyone. If if you're listening to this um, before the summit, if you want to yeah. attend.
2: We'd love people to attend. It's open to everybody. Uh, Glenn, you're doing us another fantastic favour and and, uh, and speaking at, at our summit. So I thank am. you very much.
1: You're welcome. And, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Hey, I, like I, like <laughs> I'm I say, riding in behind when, the
2: horse. <laughs> when I
1: walk off the stage and they've got their jaw open, I say, you invited me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. Um, it's We have an annual life insurance summit. So essentially, uh, it's for our life insurance uh, members, um, it's to really tackle the issue of the day, the issue of the year, uh, the issue of the month, and for our life insurers at this point in time, it's really looking at sustainability of the whole sector. Because, uh, as I say, they've been under a lot of pressure for um, quite a long time. We have we're very well served in this country. We have fantastic life insurance companies. We've got reinsurers, but uh, you know there there are a lot of pressures at uh, on their businesses, um, APRA's produced numbers that are not pretty in a lot of in a lot of places. Um, so prudentially, they're under some pressure. We also have a lot of consumer groups looking at a lot of different things, like mental health, like you know genetics, all of these things which impinge on life insurance. So we have a very busy team, uh, and putting this summit together, we want to bring together some of those themes that we're looking at right now. And I'd say sustainability is probably the big one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's a wild time. The session that I'm kind of doing with the team we're talking we're going to talk about the affordability and cost
2: yeah. um you know
1: the awareness and the availability of mm. life insurance.
2: It's it's so interesting um, cuz in superannuation, I mean, how many people know that they've got insurance in in super?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, how many millennials know that? I don't.
0: I don't know. But well, they only know how
1: much they don't have if they need to claim.
2: Ah, uh, <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the and
0: it's a it's a conversation that's been had for for many years. It's coming to the forefront now. The mm. sustainability, you know, back when I was a BDM probably six or seven years ago, you know, the business that I worked for then was all around. You know, we're trying to be premium sustainable and it just fell on deaf ears, mm. like, largely. So it's not a new conversation, but what I... And look, this might be stuff that unfolds at um, the summit, but do you have any ideas around how to actually address that? Because there's lots of conversation, lots of tension around it, mm. but no one seems to be able to sort of pinpoint a few things that our industry maybe needs to do, perhaps uncomfortably, mm. to change the... the picture and the outlook? Look, I think
2: awareness of just,
0: you know, the great good that
2: life insurance does is a huge one. And I don't think we've ever quite nailed that. You know, I I used to be a journalist, so I know what moves journalists and media Mm. and it's not good stories. Yeah. So um, I just say to my members, look, give us all the great case studies you've got. I know you've got terrific videos on your website, but give them to us. We, we have, we've, in, we've sort of invented life, uh, life Insurance Awareness Day, which is on the same day as the summit. So we try and pump out as much through our social media channels and as much awareness of, of the great things that life insurance can do because it can literally save families. It, it, and you never think that the bad things are going to happen to you until they do, so I think that's a really that's a real change, and we haven't really nailed that terribly well, um, I don't think. Is a that and that's about engagement and awareness. Other things, I suppose, they're more for my members to 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 speak to. You know, the sustainability of the, of the business model. But some of the things I think, you know, in Australia, I know we've got a very generous um, system particularly around some parts of life insurance, where the payouts um, are some of the most generous in the world. We've also got a highly complex system. So that intersection of generosity and complexity makes for a costly, quite a costly system. Now, I don't know how you address that. These are some of the questions that we are going to be tackling on the 21st of April at the summit.
1: Yeah, and I think the problem with the um, the affordability thing It came from the the sales team. Let's make these products even better. And then the ratings wars. And yeah, yeah, like people, they say to me, Oh, you've, I don't know about you, both of you, but you know, in your car, and it's got the voice activation thing where you press it and you're like, temperature 18 or whatever. I don't know anyone who uses the voice thing. It's there to bloody sell as a bloody feature that no one uses. Yeah. Like, Mm. and I think with the insurance thing, all these bells and whistles have just added cost Mm. and. And so it goes. And I
0: think it's a, like a, from from what I s- saw in advice offices, it was ultimately the fear of not being compliant. Yes, that would that would sit underneath all of this and fire it all. And I think that you know people are petrified to not go the best or the cheapest because it's it, it's difficult for them to articulate the reasons why mm-hmm. that insurance advice was placed otherwise, whereas the system was a compliance crutch. So I think this whole thing around, and it comes back to even removing and and addressing the affordability of advice as a whole, is there needs to be some really strong guidance and leadership around the flags where people can swim and when people can't swim. Because, you know, there's big, great white sharks Mm. that can take a person's entire business if they get that wrong. So, it's Mm. a big thing to-
1: I believe they're called no (laughs) win, no fee lawyers. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's right. And they can engulf someone's entire business. So, I think that there's this fear Mm. around, am I doing the right thing? Well, let's do the default. Plus, I've got to run a business. I've got to be profitable. Mm.
2: If it costs a lot more, it must be a lot better and Mm. all of that stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right about the cost of compliance. I think that's eye-watering. and I've seen, I think, who was at CPA? I think did a recent study on just the cost of setting up. If you're a if you're a new advisor, fresh out of university, it's really steep.
1: Oh, the barrier to entry nowadays, oh, boy, yeah. it's, you really can't do it.
2: No, and oh. I think the, the co- I think the average cost I think is about what three thousand dollars to get financial advice yeah, to walk absolutely. into anybody's.
0: And Office. people want to pay $500. Yeah, you know, yeah that un, That unadvised audience, Rice Warner mm. said $500 was yep. what they think a comprehensive financial plan mm. should be.
2: I think that's really interesting because no names, no pack drill, but a millennial that I know well uh, and millennials are starting to get inheritance now from the baby boomer parents um, and they want to know what to do with this money uh, and some of them will go and buy ETFs. That's great. Um, fund managers, my members too. Um, Some of them will invest in managed funds. You only need $500. Some of them um, will want to buy some property, but it boils down to a lot of them really do need financial advice and they get so scared by the cost.
1: Yeah. And you say the uh, inheritance thing, like as part of my business with my millennial money, and I've got a referral service where I'll introduce people to advisors. I've had, what is it, Thursday, in the last 2 days I've had four leads from people under 30 that have received inheritances. Yes. And that over 300,000.
2: A flood. Totally. Yep. Uh yep.
1: so yeah advice is needed. Now before we wrap this up I want to just get a view of and probably yours more as Sally, you know, working and living in this money world. As time has gone on and particularly the insurances and all of your members, you know, there's been external regulation put over all of them so they're kind of equal and you do the roundtables, like the line of collusion and competition, like we're sailing pretty close to that now and as an insurance member, like... What is our edge to have a more efficient and lean back office, so we get more margin and profit? Because we're getting to the point where all the like the IP products will basically all be the same.
2: We are very careful to make sure that we don't ever stray into that territory. Uh, and I've got a team for that. I've got a. Quite a few lawyers in my in my team. Mm, sounds um, boring. And we, <laughs> they're really good. Um, and we also get uh, a lot of advice. And we have um, competition lawyers uh, on tap, so yeah. to make sure that our meetings, you know, that we don't stray into this territory, we're really careful about that. Look, I think if I if I gave you one example of where the industry is working together for the benefit of everybody under a legislative regime that's coming into practice in October, that is design and distribution obligations, which is essentially a new regime whereby consumers uh, cannot and should not be sold an inappropriate product. Now, that is across all financial services. um, And we saw this coming 18 months ago. And because we've got so many members across so many different fields, we said, look, let's see if we can put together target market determin- determination templates and data standards. And we've done that now. And they're out there for people to use. Um, for non-FSC members, we charge a small fee and they're under licence. For all FSC members, they're free because we've, you know, all of our IP has gone into that. Now, that has been a remarkable cross-industry-wide piece of collaboration Mm. for the betterment of everybody, because the worst thing come October is going to be if advisors all get different templates, different data standards from lots of different firms. We we need alignment um, Mm. because otherwise it's going to be really inefficient and it's not going to work. So for me, um, and I'm sounding a bit Pollyanna, but it's kind of, a purpose. It's 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 what industry organisations should do. It's 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 for the efficiency of their sector. It's for the betterment of people's businesses, and it will reduce the cost for consumers. So that to me has been a really sort of iconic piece of work where we've all sat round tables together, um,
0: and and just worked on something that we know is going to work for everybody. Mm. Sally, I'm going to amp up that Pollyanna with my last question because we have been exploring some nutty and, you know, grim type areas. What are you really excited about with our industry and the work that, like, what do you see that you go, you know what, that's just such a great thing that we're working towards and people should be really excited about? I am so passionate about particularly uh,
2: young people, young people, particularly young women, being financially independent. That is my absolute goal. Um, if there's one thing that I really want to leave as a legacy, and it's not just me, it's a lot of people working on this, it's to have young people engaged and understanding finance, investment and money from the very first job that they ever have, even if it's babysitting. If you're 15 and you're getting money for babysitting, you should know what to do with that money. You should understand about managed funds. You should understand about things like life insurance, about financial advice. Even if you don't understand the technical details of it, you should understand that having money and having money managed properly is going to give you independence. And particularly for young women, a man is not a financial plan ever. So be financially independent.
0: What great advice.
1: I reckon I should get you on My Millennial Money, the podcast. We can talk Heard to a, her
0: here first. You we should know to, it. I don't, I don't think I'm
2: allowed in, am I? No. It's got an age limit on it.
1: It hasn't. It hasn't. It's, it, it's just we'll talk offline. Okay. But I guess the, the purpose of this episode, it, and I was just thinking like everyone's busy out there, right? And we get the inbox drop of newsflash and then you read the first paragraph and then I don't have time. I want people, when they see the acronym FSC after listening to this, to know the heart behind the CEO, the heart behind Sally as a person, the heart behind the FSC within itself. Yeah, Yeah. because I think it's, for me, if I read, oh, FSC said this, knowing what I know about what you guys do, I'm thinking, oh, they're, they're doing it for the greater good. I might not understand or agree with all of it, but just hearing you speak and how the FSC go about ways. Um, I'll
0: compliment that by yeah. saying, if you're listening today, do your part. Like don't just sit back and mm-hmm. let, I think for many years, there's been this apathy of letting other people do stuff on our behalf. By, like if you're provider effect. land, if you're advisor land, if you're whatever land, support your body that ref- represents you and reflects your views and do something.
2: Mm. Absolutely. Love it.
0: So thank you so much for joining us, Sally. It's been fantastic to get to know you and what you do in the FSC more. And thank you, Glenn, for your commentary and insights as always.
1: Look, it, it is absolutely your pleasure. <laughs>
0: uh, <but> as, <laughs> as always. But well, we,
1: might, um, we might do a follow-up interview with um, one of the tech people at FSC. Great. And really yes. just going into the weeds. Going into the weeds. And, uh, because yep. that's fun within itself. Uh, so... Check out the show notes. Uh, Send keep us your out. questions
0: that you want to know totally. when we get yes. into the weeds.
1: Check out the uh, Life Insurance Summit. Uh, you can watch online or if you're in Sydney, there might be some seats in person. Uh, but Sally, yeah, there are
2: still seats open, yeah. still seats online open. Love it. Yep.
1: Sally Lone, FSC, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Glenn. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for listening today. If you are in the advice world and you've made it this far, my question to you is, who can you forward this episode to? Thank you so much for listening. This was made possible because of My Risk Advisor. You can head over to the Facebook group, My Risk Advisor, and join in on the conversation.